0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License flight number 10 with service to New York, New York. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you are seated in an exit row and don't believe that you are a voice of a generation, please make sure to notify our flight attendants and they will make sure to find you another seat. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the TV pilot's license. My name is Jeff Kurvis. I'm joined by Rich Inman and Max Singer. How are y'all doing today? Hey hey. hey,
1: hey, yeah, we're we're fully prepared. Max has his uh, his New York uniform on right now. Uh, he's his favorite team in, in New York. Uh, I believe they're called Vampire Weekend.
0: <laughs> now I yep. saw Max's uniform and I thought to myself, "Wow! If Max isn't in Brooklyn right now, he must feel like he is Brooklyn, like the." the fifth character of this show.
2: I spent real uh, hard-earned cash on a Vampire Weekend deck sweatshirt that makes it look like a college.
0: <laughs> well, for those who don't know, this week we're going to be talking about Girls, uh, the 2012 HBO hit, which you can, if you have not watched it already, find on HBO Max. But, for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> but Rich, Max, well, I'm excited to talk to you gentlemen about girls. There's one problem. We're all gentlemen here, and we need a little bit of a differing perspective, maybe that of a girl or a woman. <laughs> and I'd like to introduce our guest pilot for today. Our guest pilot does so many things. What doesn't she do? She is a comedian, a content creator, a fashion icon, and a self-proclaimed girl of 2012. Please welcome Rosie Blair. Rosie, Rosie, Rosie welcome. <laughs> welcome.
3: Hi boys.
0: Perfect. Oh
3: my
1: god. (laughs) No notes.
0: No notes Uh, whatsoever. Rosie, thank you so much for joining our podcast.
3: Thank you for having me. I love nothing more but overanalyzing television. So this is very exciting (laughs) to me and appealing to my ego too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm I'm so curious, Rosie, like uh your your own personal (laughs) connection with girls, like how many times have you watched the show or watched it all the way through potentially?
3: I think one to one and a half, like all the way through. Wow. But then there are particular episodes that I think stand out more than others and I think that the show kind of like turns into a different animal as it progresses and I don't know there's just like I'm very picky and choosy with with this show I'd say.
2: Is it weird seeing yourself in what is essentially a period piece for you? (laughs)
3: Wow! No, that's hyper. No, that makes a lot of sense. It feels very period now, uh, especially rewatching the pilot today and hearing the songs, seeing what they were wearing, and just kind of like the attitude of not only the characters within the show but the the narratives of the show itself. It definitely was uh, a transitional era, I'd say, for pop culture. Uh, One that which I think Lena Dunham found herself in the crosshairs of. (laughs)
0: Well, we will definitely get into the Lena Dunham of it all as well as (laughs) girls as a whole. But for those who might be joining us for the first time, maybe to listen to you, Rosie, or to just listen to us. Um, Max, why don't you tell folks what the podcast is about? You got it, Jeff. Uh, So welcome back or welcome aboard to TV Pilot's License.
2: Each week we analyze and break down the pilot episode of a famous or infamous TV show. We figure out what works, what doesn't, if these shows we've made today, and if we're inclined to keep watching. Uh, We've got a whole bunch of great episodes uh, already wherever you find podcasts. So give us a listen, subscribe, give us five stars, and we hope you'll stick
0: with us for future flights. And Rich, you always come with the question of the week. That's right. um, And this one, this time you actually made us do a little bit of homework beforehand. Um, why don't you tell the audience about your question of the week?
1: Yeah, uh, my question of the week is actually one that's probably been rehashed on, uh, on our, one of the top websites of 2012, BuzzFeed, uh, probably 7 million times. And I'm curious to know what uh, girl's character each of us are. And we did come with a little bit of preparation. And I'm actually going to read my answer really quick because I think it's very fascinating that we all got different people. Uh, So I am Hannah, the main uh, protagonist, uh, played by Lena Dunham. (laughs) Everyone has said I'm so sorry when I posted that (laughs) that uh, this is what I got. Um, so passionate are you about learning to become your best and making your mark upon the world. Your brain can take on a life of its own. If you harness this energy, right, you can move mountains and make anyone laugh. You're also curious, a great friend, supportive, forgiving, and loyal. You shine when being surrounded by an appreciative, loving audience. This is the new astrological sign. I will not be telling anyone when I was born anymore. I am only (laughs) telling people I was Anna. Uh, let's go around the horn. Rosie, uh, What you you uh, got a different character. Who did you get?
3: I got Shoshana. Um, I'm surprised but unsurprised. I fucked up. I didn't screenshot it, so I'll just give you my appraisal of it. Um, <laughs> I get it. I think that I have uh, what I would consider like rusting dumb bitch face. <laughs> uh, I, think people... <laughs> I think a lot of people like perceive me to be kind of a dodo. I've dealt with that, and I'm not like being self-deprecating. It's just like been my experience and i think that that is certainly the case with shoshana at at face value she's very shallow and obsessed with pop culture but i think that like as the show progresses she kind of comes out on top maybe not in the pilot but as the show goes on so you know
0: (laughs) i love that uh jeff who did you get so i got jessa uh and i did get the screenshot I've been calling Jeff
3: Jeffa for the last like six hours. <laughs> That's funny. Before
0: oh, I gosh. even got the result, Max was like, <laughs> Yeah, Jeffa. Max called it. And I was just like, how did you know? Uh, you are Jessa. You're a free spirit who will try anything once and you have earned your sophistic- sophistication by trying most things several times. Hungry for life, you're a risk taker, traveler, and carry your home in your heart. Your brilliance lies in your trust, but you're so independent that sometimes you forget to let people in and disconnect from your feelings. Yet those closest to you love how sensitive you really are. Um, Based off of the pilot, we'll talk about Jessa. I have very mixed feelings about getting (laughs) Jessa. But there was one, after getting these results, I was walking my dog and thinking, why am I Jessa? And there was one scene that stood out in my mind of, oh, my God. I am Jessa, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You've done Max. some
1: real reflecting in the last couple oh, hours.
2: Oh, yeah, this is a game changer,
0: uh, for <laughs> sure. Max, what about you?
2: Jeff, Rich, Rosie, I'm a Barney. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm s- uh, Congratulations. And at first,
2: I, I wasn't sure how to feel about being a Marnie Michaels, and then I realized that Allison Williams is also from suburban Connecticut, very close to where I grew up, and uh, it tracks. Uh, <laughs> so, grace under pressure is your gift, and you're a pro at making the elements of life flow together, even where others see chaos. Yet you feel a lot more than you tend to show. Strong as steel, you see solutions where others see problems. When you stop worrying, express your true emotions before they build up, and own your own exceptional courage, you can literally achieve the impossible. Wow. How do you feel
0: about that, Max?
2: I mean, it's profound um i i never thought that i would be mistaken for someone in girl boss culture circa 2012 (laughs) but uh uh, apparently i am and uh i have the confidence to uh tell everyone that i was on a uh, a helicopter in iraq that was struck by an rpg oh my (laughs) god God. no 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I,
1: I feel like this is pre-girl boss culture too this is almost like because it will i mean we'll get into this too but like the economics of everyone involved in this in this show all the characters is just bleak i have no idea i i literally i don't know if any of these characters have a bank account i i truly cannot tell
0: we'll definitely get to how many of these characters at least in the pilot do or do not have a job uh, because it is something that I'm genuinely curious how they are living in New York in 2012 ish. Um, But, Let's talk a little bit about the show background, and we'll start off with a synopsis. Girls is a comedy about the experiences of a group of girls in their early 20s. The assorted humiliations, disasters, and rare triumphs of four very different 20-something girls. Hannah, an aspiring writer, Marnie, an art gallery assistant, and cousins, Jessa and Shoshana. So we know at least jobs of them. Two of them possibly have jobs. Uh, Max, before we get into the show as a whole, um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the background? Yes, uh, well, cousin is a
2: full-time job. I just want to clear the air.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it isn't my family. So a little bit of background on Girls, the pilot which premiered on April 15th, 2012. Uh, Girls is created by one Lena Dunham, Uh, We're going to talk about her a lot today. Uh, She's become one of the most prolific creators, writers, personalities of this last decade. And we're going to figure out what exactly it is that makes her so. Uh, So Dunham grew up splitting her time between Brooklyn and Connecticut. Uh, She is the child of two artists. Carol Dunham, a painter, along with uh, Lori Simmons, uh, her mother, who is a photographer. Uh, Dunham attended Oberlin College, where she began making short films. And Dunham's actually interesting because she was one of the first people who really rode like the social media wave to get her content out to the world. She actually was a pretty prolific YouTuber with her short films, finding viral success with projects like Pressure and The Fountain. Uh, From there, she graduates Oberlin, goes back to New York, and starts working on a few different web series called Tight Shots and Delusional Downtown Divas. Uh, She produces her first hour-long, I guess we'll call it, feature, it's pretty short, uh, called Creative Nonfiction, which gets accepted into South by Southwest and screens there. And then in 2010... Everything starts to blow up for her. She has a micro budget indie comedy called Tiny Furniture financed for about $60,000 which gets accepted into South by but not only screens there ends up winning best narrative feature uh, And she also gets an emerging female filmmaker award there Uh, Tiny furniture becomes this critical darling. It's on a ton of year-end lists uh, she's nominated for Best First First Feature and wins Best First Screenplay at the Indie Spirit Awards. Uh, we love her independent spirit, folks, don't we? <laughs> uh, it, it's a Criterion Collection movie now. It's become super influential for a lot of people. And after the success of Tiny Furniture, Dunham has a ton of doors open. Hers a lot of people who want her to adapt books or like, you know, punch up screenplays for them but she ends up getting a blind script deal to create her own project from HBO. Uh, They partner her up with a woman named Jenny Connor, uh, who has become this big script doctor in Hollywood. She was also a staff writer at Undeclared with Judd Apatow. Uh, Connor and Dunham's partnership ends up getting Judd Apatow on board as a producer. He's a huge fan of Tiny Furniture and emails Dunham just to congratulate her and begins that partnership. I need to talk about the girl's pitch because this is something of lore for good and bad reasons. Most people, when they pitch a show to a network, Uh, have a script or what might call a show Bible, (laughs) uh, something that encapsulates... What this thing is going to be for a long period of time if they don't have a full fleshed out script. Lena Dunham presented the executives at HBO with a one page, what she calls tone poem.
1: Oh boy. Wait. A tone poem?
2: Tone poem. So
0: is that a version of a haiku or a little bit longer?
2: The term going off vibes is thrown a lot. (laughs) Oh boy.
1: (laughs) Oh boy. Is this Uh, some like Rupee Kaur shit? (laughs)
2: Would they would they, yeah, would they sell I mean, this poem at
1: at uh, block? Or, I'm sorry, at Barnes and Noble.
2: I mean, look, I <laughs> I I read the poem doing research for this. I'm not going to read the poem to you, but it's out there if you want to see it. Anywho, HBO <laughs> green lights a show off of this. Oh my god,
4: I'm so excited uh, right
2: now. <laughs> They green light in early 2011. They shoot it that spring. The first three episodes premiere. Where else? South by Southwest. Uh, And the rest is history. Well,
0: Max, thank you for that background on the show. But Rosie, you know, you have a little bit of an additional background of being a girl in 2012 in a coastal city, nonetheless. yeah Um, can you give us a tone poem about that a tone poem maybe we should have asked you to prepare one but i'd love to just in 2012 like seeing a major network like hbo premiere a show like this or just the experiences of what life was like for you back then
3: i'm glad to be here to provide historical context for this (laughs) piece of art uh it's good it's like having like a like a war letter from from somebody who was actually in the trenches (laughs) <laughs> um, it, it was, uh, I just remember there was something in the air among my friends. We were over, overjoyed at something like this coming. I remember watching the trailer over and over again and seeing that not only was the show, it looked very accurate in terms of what we were wearing, uh, what we were doing socially with each other. It looked like the type of parties we were going to, the converse- conversation seemed very accurate and candid and, uh... Just like, just like the nakedness of it all it was really like, I you know I have never taken a shower with any of my friends, but <laughs> I've definitely just like hung around in like jean shorts, smoking cigarettes on the porch, like without a bra <laughs> on. So things like that were oh, really gosh. exciting to see. Uh, <laughs> um, and then and then you saw the actual work, and then I think we sort of turned into a like weekly roast of it, and then. It was more secretly like still loving all of it. I was going to
1: say, if you keep watching it, is it really really something that you hate watch or is it something that you're looking forward to every time?
3: No, not at all. (laughs) I think that's like how I feel about euphoria currently. Um, Yeah, no, at this time I was in Los Angeles and also kind of, writing that YouTube wave and I just remember everything we were doing at that time was like watching the news watching current events and seeing like who could get like a YouTube sketch or like a web series up fast enough to compete with like the speed of things that were going on so I think like at this time period there were so many shows like I got a pilot um, at this time it didn't work out, but um there was like they were finding talent this way and there was a real desire for like badly behaved women, I
2: guess. yeah, comedy at this point it's weird because it's like there were there was only two modes you can go. it was trying to see who could do the most or who could do the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you have either these like really brash body over the top kind of like shock shows or you had these like really, mundane, under the surface, like, it's funny, because the interactions are real. Um Like, going back to Tiny Furniture, uh, there's, like, a quote from Sarah Silverman about it, where she's like, it's the funniest movie that doesn't have any jokes in it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> oh, wait, is it that- Is that, is that good? Like, I don't, I I don't know if that's good.
1: (laughs) Rosie, what was your pilot about?
3: A friend of mine and I conceived of a pilot that was basically Pee-wee's Playhouse meets Wayne's World for young women.
0: That sounds dope as hell.
3: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I would watch that every
0: single day. Bring (laughs) it (laughs) back. Talking about comedy through so many different lenses, I want to start talking a little bit about Girls itself. Yeah. and let's just kick off the show. How the show kicks off? We are in a Italian restaurant watching Lena Dunham learn how to eat pasta for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> little, little
2: something for all you ASMR freaks out there. Lena <laughs> Dunham just chopping yeah, was, was and, was and immediately... slurping on noodles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are we are cutting oh. that.
1: We are uh, we are a hundred percent cutting that. That was super upsetting. <laughs>
2: Wow. Um, oh, guys, we just lost ad gate subscribers for
0: that. <laughs> uh, but Not the reasons we want. As Lena Dunham is consuming her pasta in her newly found way, um, her parents decide to break that they're no longer going to support her. And this seems like it's definitely going to be like the main plot of the episode for the most part. And it's a super interesting way to meet Lena Dunham or Hannah. In this case, I'll refer to her interchangeably throughout. Um, When this happened, this was the first part of the episode where I was just like, I had a sign of hope, right? Like, I was like, oh, this is sort of fun. Like, this is like, maybe Girls is like my show. Like, maybe this is going to be something I'm going to be digging. Because I absolutely fell in love with the parents. Um, I thought they were just like, all right. so Ted and Lorreen were the parents. I thought that their energy was so interesting in particular because it was like, are they drunk? Like a lot of the ways they spoke to Hannah were like, they're pretty drunk, right? Or aren't they drunk? <laughs> Wh- what did you guys think about this scene?
2: I love that dynamic of uh, Ted's like trying to be the good cop here and Laureen's just calling him on his shit and be like, back me up here. Um, Laureen telling the server that Hannah's not going to have anything else like after cutting her off. That was cold That's, such a, that's so cold <laughs> and it's like you're already picking up the tab but like no you can't get anything else. It's like, a ruthless <laughs> thing for a parent to say to a child at a dinner.
1: Well uh, okay so child is, uh, is a, is a uh,
2: subjectable.
1: She's 24.
2: She's <laughs> still their child. <laughs>
1: I I personally, you know, they went really hard into the the similar trope of like mom's gonna mom has to be the bad cop because dad won't step up and like kind of like lay down the law with the kids. Uh very modern family, I would say uh, that that they reminded <laughs> me of. Um, I also just like god what low stakes i mean what just this like this first cold open i'm just like all right i I, i'm already convinced that nothing of true severity is going to happen to anyone on the show because the if if you take those first two minutes to just explain while loudly eating spaghetti that you are not going to give your your college graduated daughter who's already two years out of school any money to work for free i mean that is like extremely baseline like I, I have to imagine anyone any person of color watching this would be like i'm fucking out
2: the the, ex- the exchange <laughs> though between hannah and her dad about um didn't you tell me it was cheaper for you to be on the cell phone family plan like that that's
0: very funny that, that I, I i definitely agreed with what, rosie what about you
3: <laughs> i i feel like i have a question for everybody because it, it was a question that came to mind when i was watching it and if this scene is this being played for us to feel empathy for the hannah character or is this pure satire are we not supposed to feel anything for her like are we supposed to understand that this is a ridiculous situation
0: i love that question because i think in 2012 when i watched this pilot premiere because spoiler alert i've seen this pilot before (laughs) me too um i felt instant empathy for hannah because i was like oh an artist is trying to be an artist and like It's hard to be an artist in New York. So, 10 years later, realizing that Hannah took two additional years of her parents' income to pursue being an artist, we're going to talk about her book that looked like it was three pages long. But knowing (laughs) Lena Dunham, (laughs) knowing Lena Dunham, that is what a book is. It is three pages long based off of this tone poem bullshit um it worked but yeah no that's the wild thing this book for all we know is the next great american novel and it's only three pages long and every kid's gonna read it in seventh grade and have their mind blown um but yeah i i genuinely was just upset and i felt so much for her parents
1: well I, i mean there's just so many different there's so many different ways to have like you know, a, a side job now, and and I guess like at this particular point in in American life, especially for uh, those of us that did graduate like around this particular era, we were forced. Like the conversation wasn't jobs while we were graduating; it was all internships. And who are you? Who who can you go essentially do free labor for for a little while before they actually decide to give you money and that you're actually worth what they're give, what you're doing. And I think I think our, our everyone in our generation kind of has a weird relationship with like judging how much they're worth because of this. Because when you graduate from an expensive college, um, the first thing that you come out of with is like, okay, you're still worth nothing. This, uh, like, you still have to make those connections. And I and I think that is like, if if I put it in that like historical lens, I think like you know I, I understand where she's coming from for sure.
2: I just. Uh... I, I kind of agree with you, Jeff. When I when I watched this as a college undergraduate theater major in the spring of 2012,
1: <laughs> immediately texting your mom, "Hey, we're cool, right?"
0: <laughs> yeah, like just really buttering up to my mom. Um, Three years, maybe four. Four sounds nice. <laughs>
2: but yeah, I, I think you had this almost fear of what awaits you on the other side. But I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to feel sympathetic for Hannah. I think we're supposed to see the extremes of, you know, her parents' sided things, but also the, like, struggle and strife that it takes to make a career in the arts work and that it comes with it. I think something that you'll find just throughout this entire episode is that everyone here is flawed and imperfect. Like, there's all moments where you like them and dislike them simultaneously uh, and it's a really weird dichotomy that these characters possess but yeah I mean I was never going to forgive Lena Dunham for not knowing how to use a fucking fork in this first scene so <laughs> by the time, the, by the, time the, the financial conversation had we were already on shaky ground her and I.
3: It's really unfortunate that Lena Dunham's Uh, off-screen persona so closely mirrored this character because I believe if she was like able to have like a much more separate persona that we could all like see like oh these characters are meant to be kind of like unlikable despicable people and maybe we could perceive it through like a Seinfeld lens and it's always sunny lens Mm -hmm. and the show would be like much more comedic and I feel like these this like early this pilot is very comedic and I think that the show goes on to be like dramatic and confusing and doesn't really find its tonal footing and I think that does an immense disservice to it could have been great (laughs) I feel like and I think it could have been judged way less, less harshly if it was perceived through a lens of like these people suck and we're gonna really hit that hard.
2: Yeah, yeah, the tone thing's interesting because I, I have also seen this entire series. And yes, it very much shifts out of comedy focus as time goes on. But we're not here to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> there are two moments in this Scene, though, that I love, and I'm going to start adding to just my vocabulary, <laughs> uh, Hannah describing what she does as my groovy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <that's>,
1: <laughs> I have uh, that in bold letters in my notes.
2: Delightful. Uh, also, when her parents are trying to figure out when to see her before they leave to New York, and she says that I'm busy trying to become who I am, uh, <laughs> that's my new excuse for getting out of anything from now on. If I don't want to come to your party, I'm busy trying to become who I am. Sorry, that's folks. <laughs>
0: that is absolutely amazing (laughs) um you know we meet hannah girls comes across the screen the the show card um and then after that we meet the rest of the girl uh as they all awake upon their lives in new york in very different ways um we, we love a get in the gang together, Marthage. Yeah, We we do love a getting the gang together, getting the crew together, montage. <laughs> um we we start off with Hannah as well as Marnie. They're sleeping in the same bed together. Um at first, at first glance, I was like, oh cool, like Hannah might be not straight. How progressive of 2012, like really? first blush of this show. But then we also see um at this point Jessa wake up. She's surrounded by so much Louis Vuitton uh, that in a cab and don't fall asleep in a cab. If if you take anything from this podcast, don't fall asleep in a cab in New York. <laughs> you don't know what will happen to you. And that is terrifying. I'd um, like to give a shout to our sponsor, the Metro Transit Authority. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, this is New
1: York Mayor Eric Adams. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> And we have um, one public service announcement to give to anybody who's coming here. Do not fall asleep in the yellow taxi cabs because they all have to go to Staten Island at the end of the night and you don't <laughs> want to be
0: there. <laughs> um, as we see this like literal awakening of the characters and their different situations, we get to meet Marnie, played by Allison Williams. And we also get to meet Marnie's boyfriend, Charlie. Let's talk about Charlie is okay. Charlie. Now this was 2012. I don't think the term simp was in modern culture at this point, but I think <laughs> Charlie is the first simp ever written into pop culture. I will
2: have no Christopher Abbott slander on this podcast,
0: Jeff. Thank you very also, much. Also, Christopher Abbott, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, but boy, it reminded me how old the show was because he looks like a child. I literally Everyone was just like, like, like <laughs> we're we're going to get to Adam Driver pre star wars and you know semi-naked uh adam driver looks but yeah it was just charlie just seems like a nice guy and <laughs> <laughs> literally through he, he's a, a
2: love struck 24 year old just let it be this poor schmo thinks he's found the love of his life who he's gonna spend forever with who amongst us hasn't had just a Head over heels relationship in our early to mid twenties that we thought was going to be the one for the rest of our lives.
1: Oh, uh, Max, Mary Kate's on the
2: other side of the door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two pe- two people in this podcast. We found our really significant
0: stuff. other <laughs> in our early twenties. We meet Charlie. Charlie seems perfectly fine, but in the next scene, Max, you talked about it. We like each of these characters sort of have a despicable thing. Maybe Lena Dunham's is eating cupcakes while someone is taking a shower and she's also <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> but Allison Williams just starts to sort of shit all over Charlie. Like what did you all think about this as like, charlie deserves better
1: (laughs) i've never seen someone develop the ick on a show that might be the first like that may be the first like instance of developing the ick that i've seen portrayed in tv
2: (laughs) the first demonstration of it in recorded history
3: (laughs) i think they were they were on the way out before this this episode began definitely because to me his like simp behavior is him tiptoeing like i don't think my girlfriend likes me anymore Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna be extra nice mm-hmm. extra sweet and sh- that makes her even more repulsed by him so it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point point. and like she's fallen she's clearly invited him over but she's fallen asleep in her roommate's room like in spooning <laughs> together to avoid him oh. i feel a lot of I feel for him I don't find him like irritating and repugnant but I know that when I first watched it I probably also felt the ick uh, he speaks in like these like little staccato whispers that are just like very <laughs> grating on the ear He's like oh, my goodness, my goodness. just like this like gentle sound and I don't know I th- I think <laughs> it's hard to watch it's heartbreaking to watch and it's really also hard to empathize with the women on the show watching it as an adult woman in a very happy marriage so
0: so i wanted to ask everyone on this podcast what is the weirdest food that you have eaten in the shower
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh oh god oh i love uh, i would hands down eat a peach or a mango in the shower something that's like kind of ripe and like you know would definitely stain all of your clothes if you tried to you know, something that would harden basically into an active glue situation i would 100% eat that in the shower
3: that's not weird though the the, the fruits like you would do that like on a honeymoon or something oh like yeah that. for you sure I, I could mean? like that's
0: i could see that and like on a jamaican honeymoon they provide a few yeah. fruit bowl in the shower being like yeah, <laughs> you, eat, you eat in the shower here like what well, well, are you nuts <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the honey of the moon um Max, Welcome what about to you?
2: i i don't think i've personally ever had shower food i i don't think <laughs> i've ever experienced shower food what oh uh uh have i think back I to mean, the frat I, house mac
0: yeah no, that's that's I, the thing. I, talking about folks who have showered with each other there's three of us who have all shared a shower together
3: <laughs> oh fun still,
0: still would Oh yeah!
2: Wow, it's my two of my best (laughs) buds. I've definitely enjoyed uh, like shower and tub wine before. I know that's not like an out of the ordinary thing to do, but no, that's kind of a necessity right now. Yeah, tub wine is is good wine. Tub wine, Rosie. What's so so upsetting?
3: (laughs) Tub wine sounds like an e fucked like video (laughs) from. I don't know why. That's what that sounds like. Um i uh, in terms of like actual consumables i feel like the only thing i've had in the shower was like a, like a steel reserve malt liquor on my 21st uh, birthday Hell, hell I yeah! i was just like gonna go for it
0: <laughs> i love that
1: answer so much
0: i i am thank a, you i'm a big fan of a um Cream soda in the shower. I'm not gonna lie. If uh, you have not done that, it just shows my Jew. It shows my Jew. That or a uh, <laughs> diet soda. diet black cherry soda as well. Um, I'm not gonna name the specific brand, but they you can haven't find paid it. us. They you can find it in any Jewish deli if you look hard enough. We're uh, we're
2: gonna talk more about we're gonna talk more about nepotism in this cast later on. But I should point out that Jeff's father is Dr. Brown. <laughs>
0: Um, but during the scene, I think one of the first troubling lines was said. There, there are many throughout this scene, throughout the show. But when nah, I don't Hannah, know what you're talking about when Hannah starts discussing that she doesn't see Allison Williams naked enough, um I'm gonna give a little spoiler alert. I watched this show with my in-laws in the room. Uh, Good for you. Oh, and. Wow. It was a treat. (laughs) This isn't even mentioning the Lena Dunham controversy of her and her conversations about her Mm -hmm. little sister, um, which definitely puts a sour note on this as a whole. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that this happened um, after watching this show and after the show was created. During this scene, we do get Charlie again. Um, He appears uh, with the littlest baby knock and... um, (laughs) And there is a little bit of foreshadowing because he walks in, Allison Williams is in the towel and he looks away and Lena Dunham is just naked in this scene. There's no way that she was wearing any cover, up, any cover ups or anything like that. I It is canonically true that she was naked in any scene that she was naked in. You cannot convince me otherwise. He like looks away sheepishly and he's like, oh my goodness, you're naked. Um, and then he leaves. Were there any other thoughts around like this scene as a whole? Right. Like, I feel like it did give us a dynamic of Marnie is the BFF for life.
1: So I get the same feeling from Charlie and a lot of these different conversations, like uh, especially, you know, once we get to uh, Adam Driver. But both of the men in this show give me the same feeling that The Office used to give me of the secondhand embarrassment for just like the horrible way that they just communicate or like form a sentence. It's so freaking awkward and i don't understand why that has like found it it, it, at this point in time found its way into so many like tv shows films like it it just became like the kind of uh, almost a genre of itself that we're gonna include some extremely awkward dialogue at that we hope people will find
2: funny charlie bumps into inanimate objects and apologizes to them i'm (laughs) sure of this
1: (laughs) This guy has said my bad to a mop before.
2: Yeah, for for like a twenty-four-year-old, twenty-five-year-old guy, he's like so tiptoey around his significant other to to a point where you kind of wonder, yeah, is this relationship on the rocks? Do they both know that it's fading out, or is he just like the meekest man on the face of the earth?
0: We do get to meet some of the other girls. It's not just Hannah and Marnie. We talked a little bit about our girls. Uh there is Shoshana, there is Jessa. Um we see Shoshana for the smallest amount of time possible just to ensure that everyone understands that she is a in fact a character on the show. Um we may indeed see her again. Um but after Shoshana and Jessa catch up about Shoshana's European adventure, uh, that we are sure to hear about a little bit more. We get to this big sort of point in hannah's life where she asked the question can my internship become a job um (laughs) and i love this scene just because it really represented like getting employment between 2008 and 2012 was awful um and the things that were valued such as photoshop was just (laughs) was just like when he said well she knows photoshop i literally was like i've heard that said before to me as a human being that
2: exchange of hannah finally having the courage to stand up for herself and not even demand a salary but just to be paid money in exchange for services (laughs) and the boss's immediate reaction is just oh i'm so sorry to lose you and that that sucks it it sucks to see it's one of those scenes where i cringed a little watching it Uh, The expectation in media and art jobs that you will just kiss the ass and like kiss the ring of people who have even the slightest bit of experience to get your foot in the door because like the whole battle is getting your foot in the door. It just like it's really difficult to see it. Dramatize and played out that way, and I think this show does capture that millennial post recession like we're all just trying to get a crumb, we're all just trying to get an inkling, really well. Uh, but yeah, Hannah really gets the short end of the stick here.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give the uh, the mantra of the podcast across all these episodes. But join a union, uh, form one if you can, uh, because we're 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 100 a pro labor <laughs> pilot review podcast. <laughs> <But> <laughs> this is like truly this is like one of my worst nightmares, but it seemed very bleak. It's just like as soon as you graduate, you're a number. And uh, this is I think this scene like super encapsulates how I was feeling when we were like on the uh, like about to graduate college. I I think it was like super on the money. I I felt bad for not only Hannah but every single character
0: in the show because of this. It definitely was a very different tone, right? Like we we were getting all these like jokes throughout previously and then we get this very serious scene that does have a few jokes rifled in but then you know if you thought that some of these women were despicable boy do i have a character for you <laughs> and his name is adam sackler played by the man that looks like he literally just went through puberty adam driver um, Boy, yeah he, he looks
1: like a push-ups in the garage type person in the
0: show <laughs> like this adam Adam Sackler's character is such an interesting juxtaposition from Hannah because it sort of shows you like there is a basement to trying and Adam (laughs) is that (laughs) effort as far as like I get $800 a month from my grandma. I don't do anything I don't want to (laughs) do. That's it, y'all. Like that, that, that's the thing. Like any other thought, like any thoughts about Adam as a whole? so many um adam driver the pride of mishawaka
2: indiana former u.s marine turned juilliard graduate um i just have to say if you told me that a decade from now (laughs) this man is going to be the toast of the town the creme de la creme the most in demand actor amongst the biggest directors in hollywood uh, a sex icon would have hair that covers his ears. I wouldn't believe any of <laughs> um, it. I talk a lot on this show about, like, intros to characters. And Adam's first line of dialogue being a joke about being in a circle jerk with Hannah's dad is one hell of an intro. I'll it's give a really good line. I liked it.
0: <laughs> it. It's definitely just one of those interesting ones of like here's a guy that hannah's into and it like completely tracks with all the shit that we've seen her character do for sure rosie like what are your thoughts about like adam the scene as a whole
3: i for sure fucked this guy like more than once (laughs) more than once for sure and i think that was uh, one of the initial like like oh my god this show absolutely gets it is that i feel like this was sort of the era of like we were starting to Actively fuck sleaze bags, Mm. like on purpose. Like, um, and there was sort of like a strange power in that. Like, I just got fucked. And it was like all these like nasty glory stories, like the the filthier the better, the more like debauched and debased we were, the better. And it kind of turned into like fodder for our art in some capacity. Like, I think that I was accumulating glory stories intentionally, like at my own detriment and I feel like this guy I know this guy like this guy exists in the comedy community he exists in like the oh, folk yeah. punk community like he is definitely I went I went to college with this motherfucker and I knew this guy in like the improv like community and I he specifically I'm thinking of this guy who was a life extensionist uh, that that I hooked up with, and he literally like cooked uh, vitamins instead of real like, no food. <laughs> he made his um, own. Yeah, like he. This just, is like, a reduction hey,
2: of Flintstones vitamins. And <laughs>
0: is wait, is a life extensionist a lot like a ten-year warranty I can get on a fridge, or is that something like? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting I'm getting life
2: alert vibes. <laughs>
3: And and he was, like, a birthday party pirate by day. That was his <sighs> job. And Huge his girlfriend wasn't a, a dominatrix, but they were, like, in an open relationship. So I was, like, oh, I'm gonna step right in. And his, like, bed was an iron like tree that he had like made himself uh and I just remember that he did not like penetrate me he just full body like stroked me with his face <laughs> and like that is this dude like there were so many strange guys and I was just like where did you learn how to interact with a woman and <laughs> I I think that this character is so accurate and I don't think that anyone could have portrayed him in the same like interesting way that that uh, adam driver does because something i pay attention so much to in in all of his performances consistently is the emphasis he places on certain pieces of dialogue yes 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 let's talk let's talk this (laughs) yes yes
2: (laughs) so so going off of that uh the way that adam driver hits words in a way that no one would look at a script and think to (laughs) hit uh that when he's talking about his degree in lit, it's like, and it didn't do shit. Like he draws the shit out in yes. such a weird way. um I, I oh, what what is it? When when they start to hook up on the couch, and he takes his shoe off and he punches the boot yeah, to the ground. <laughs> the the things he does when when Hannah asked him to get a condom. That line of. I'll consider it. There are such fascinating <laughs> ways to look at text, and I I can't stop thinking about them, and I can't stop thinking about this character and he's he's this hurricane in the world of girls because he is unlike anyone else we see his behaviors his decorum the, the way he views the world the way he speaks he just absolutely explodes this world that we've seen so far he he's He's fascinating. I, I, I cannot stop thinking about this creature. <laughs> I think that's why
1: Hannah keeps coming back to him. Yeah. I think it, he she represents like a, a nihilistic streak that she needs to have to like keep her artist artistic stuff.
0: It's almost like a muse of sorts of just <laughs> like yeah. there's this human being that exists, and I need to usurp his energy as a whole to like better understand what being a, an artist. It is in this Hannah's world.
2: parents want her to pull herself up by her bootstraps and Adam Sackler wants to punch the bootstraps
0: <laughs> and also wants her to hold herself by her bootstraps uh during certain (laughs) circumstances um
3: she's so in her mind too and i feel like he's completely just like a nature-based person like he's mm -hmm. very animalistic and i feel like maybe that's like that connection that she's seeking just to get like dicked down and like out of her mind for a second
1: absolutely is he is he okay so if we are all instagram people is he our morbid curiosity of reddit and 4chan no. For sure. he, he's, a, for he's, sure.
0: he's a 4chan he might even be an 8chan man holy um, shit Yeah. <laughs> um, so while this is all happening there's a dinner party that is happening as well um, Marnie is hosting a dinner party for Shoshana as well as Jessa and Hannah has said I will be there Charlie has invited two of his friends to the dinner party um, they seem like the worst Uh, and I'm just going and I, you know, as very similarly as Rosie, you said, I know this guy, I've slept with this guy, I've had dinner parties with these two people. Like the person who's like, Oh, I'm not into food this week. Which, what the fuck line was that? That Lena Dunham. That didn't come from nowhere. Lena Dunham has said that herself, or she has heard someone say that out loud. Oh, that is
2: 100% something that you jotted down in your phone after you overheard it at a party. You're like, this is going into a script.
1: Yeah, 100%. All, most of the dialogue could be overheard NYC Instagram posts at this point. Yeah, that that
0: that almost feels like that's what the dialogue of the scene is. Like, oh, I've heard this is a dinner party. I'm just going to make two characters the amalgamation of just NYC dinner party um, but with some opium uh, as a side.
1: <laughs> yeah, what on earth? What what kind of parties is she going to where people are making opium tea? That's not even in the top five drugs I
2: would consider to have at a party. And we don't even know what the dessert pairing was. Like, does it even go with? <laughs> what the-
0: well, they were talking about, like, banana pods and stuff like that, so I'm only assuming it's a, like, banana flambe or something like that, where Ew. you shouldn't be making that with opium in your system. The music
2: cue, though, while Ray's is cooking up the opium tea, we get that uh, that needle drop of Time to Pretend by MGMT, which oh. is just such a, like, late-aughts Brooklyn indie sleaze. Um, I went to a very, very early like, pre-their first album, MGMT Show, at a club in New York, and they mm. just jammed wow. on the Ghostbusters oh theme song gosh. for 40 minutes, and it fucking sucked!
1: <laughs> so <laughs> well, it, so that, that song came out about, like, four years before this, right?
2: Yeah, that that came out, and I want to say, oh, eight. it's also an appropriate band for this show, though, because they're these, like, synthy, sleazy, Brooklyn indie rock artists, but they went to fucking Wesleyan, yeah. <laughs> like, for college, and yeah. I'm not gonna give them too much credit here with the music supervision but it does feel like an appropriate band that these people would be into and kind of missing the overall message of like no they're just like two privileged dudes from connecticut
1: yeah if there's one thing that that we stand for here at the podcast that's pro-labor and (laughs) anti-mgmt we're anti we're anti-management
2: pro-labor those things do go hand in hand
0: (laughs) there the scene is So interesting, though, this is like one of the most fast paced scenes of this entire show, interestingly enough, because while they're deciding to take opium and Hannah asks, what does it taste like? And she thinks the character says Twix. Um, (laughs) He said Twigs and he very clearly said Twigs. Uh, and then she spits it out, and when he says, oh, it tastes like twigs, she then consumes the entire cup.
1: As someone who drinks Fernet on a regular basis, I just want to say I'm pro-twig taste in, in, <laughs> in things that I consume. I, I think this is like a great herbal natural flavor, and uh, and Hannah should just sit down and enjoy her opium.
2: Yeah, let's not discredit the flavor of dirt for pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: farm to table there was an interesting part though that i really liked uh, about this um uh, i i have to mention one thing that happened beforehand um of charlie and marnie and charlie wants to get frisky and marnie says one line that i had to write down and <laughs> she said what if you were a stranger like a totally different person and <laughs> didn't even <laughs> act like you that <laughs> that that broke me a little bit. But, oh god,
2: so good. Back- there, there's just really quick. There's there's a joke that Ray and his date make too, where uh Ray comments on the whole dinner scene playing out saying watching this is like watching Clueless and his date goes the movie or the TV show. Which was a great <laughs> And it's like who in their right mind would associate clueless with like the short-lived TV show spin-off that everyone but Alicia Silverstone did? Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that there are such delightful, hyper-specific bits of writing in this. And it's like, okay, I I get it. I, if you vibe with that, if you gel with that, I could get how you could really get sucked into this show.
0: Mm-hmm. So we talked. I, we talked about what characters we are. And I said that I had a realization of what scene that Jessa and I were possibly the same person. And it was when Jessa was talking about her European trip to everyone at the party... And talking about, well, you have to go to Paris. And I literally was just like, oh, no, I've been that person at the party. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I am the dickhead at the party talking about travel and and telling about my stories and stuff like that. Um, But during this entire thing, Hannah decides that she wants to go and talk with her parents. Um, But she gets two different speeches. She gets one from Marnie, and then she gets one from Jessa, um, and they're entirely <laughs> different pieces of advice. It's almost like that good angel, bad like devil on one shoulder, yeah. angel on the yeah, other. Yeah,
2: framing it with Hannah in the middle, it's uh, it really is that sequence. Uh, Jessa is very much like the
1: the weird like brainstem inclination we all have to throw our phone in, in like the nearest body of water and go live in the woods. That is like that I have that. I have that on a daily basis, and if Jessa was, like, really one of my friends, I'd probably end up in a much worse position than I am right now. Rewatching this episode,
2: though, after a long time, I I don't believe anything Jessa says. Oh, I, 100%. I, I yeah. don't mm. think there was European gallivanting. Every time someone has a follow-up question with her, she gives a very vague answer or kind of ping-pongs onto a new topic and a new story. I just got the perception of this is someone who's kind of made up this entire where you've been thing. Uh, I think they allude to that being broken when she confesses to Marnie that she's in fact pregnant and is dealing with that accidental pregnancy. I just think this is someone who is dealing with some real shit and to kind of create a suit of armor is making up these tall tales about this, like a broad socialite lifestyle that hasn't happened. I, I could be wrong. Uh, it's been a long time since I've gone back and seen this show, but it just didn't give me any truth.
3: I think you're right. Yeah. I, uh... I did a little bit of additional uh, overachiever homework. Oh, Rosie. I read read the pilot today um, just because I thought that there's probably some things that we missed. And in the description of her uh, in the cab scene when she arrives, they say that she's beautiful but strung out. So uh, she's probably Mm. just been on a complete bender and doesn't really have any concept of what's happening or what has happened in the last few months.
0: There was one detail that you left out, Max, when uh, Jessa reveals her pregnancy to Marnie. Um, Jessa is going to the bathroom during this entire sequence, and Marnie is being the best friend ever by handing her toilet paper once she has (laughs) realized that Jessa is indeed done. Um, And remember how earlier in this podcast we said that Charlie sheepishly went into the bathroom? Um he's not so sheepish anymore. He goes in high on opium and just gives them a big old smile. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it is
1: wild how um I I have never I don't know anyone uh with an opiate addiction. I don't know. I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen anyone just behave on opiates in, in a certain way, so this is like an entirely new type of high acting. Like, you know, you know, when you were uh, when you were young and someone on SNL or some comedy show would be pretending to be drunk. It was like the funniest thing in the friggin world, because that was like, I don't know what that is. This is like this is like a new type of high for me as a 30 year as a 32 year old.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely something different. So during this discovery, Hannah somehow makes it to her parents hotel at the Warwick with a plan of convincing them that she needs a little bit of assistance to help publish her book. Um, And we talked a little bit about it. Her book is three pages long. You cannot convince me it's any longer or any shorter than three pages. This is just camera footage from her meeting at HBO.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're both reading the same tone poem printed on two separate pages.
0: But she goes in and she starts calling her uh, father Papa, which I was just like... (laughs) What a what a great choice, um and then she says the line that we've sort of referenced to. I don't want to freak you out, but I think I may be the voice of my generation, <laughs> or a voice of a generation at this point. And as her parents read through her her whatever her book her pamphlet, one of the most iconic lines of a comedy
2: of the last decade. I've heard that so many times over the last 10 years. Um, Guys, I think we might be a podcast of a generation. I don't want to I don't no, want to brag. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves.
0: <laughs> Rosie, congratulations. You're a guest on a
2: podcast. <laughs> oh, my
3: God. Amazing. That's what we always dreamed
2: of. I think, though, this is such an interesting, uh, like, rock bottom to drop your protagonist into in a pilot episode. If we talk about showing their highs and lows and their likability and unlikability simultaneously, it, it's tough because Hannah has tried her parrot's way. She has talked to her boss and said, I need to be valued here. I need you to give me opportunities. And if I'm leaving, well, I hope you'll review my work in exchange for thing I've done for you. And, you know, her boss has that shit line of like, well, who's going to read your book if you're not here? Like, yeah. she's played by her parents' rules and it didn't work. And now she has to take things into her own hands. But unfortunately, uh, her hands are floating and also very heavy right now, and uh, there's seven of them. It, it just—it's it, tough because you see someone who has played by the book and it's failed them, and now they're kind of falling flat on their face.
1: Yeah, I, I, you're also okay. So I actually associated this a little bit with uh, something that uh, you know a lot of us will. Like kind of sympathize with in the explosion and popularity of the ECB system, and that they kind of convince you that there is a specific track to stardom. There is a specific track to landing SNL, landing a Comedy Central deal, landing like any sort of acting job, um, because of the because they highlight so heavily the people who have made it, who have done it that way. And I think Hannah ended up in the same track of you know for for uh in the literary track um where it's just like oh yeah you go and you work at a publisher for a little while and then you make those connections and then you you know and now the you know the train is completely off those tracks and she's seeing what really that she was essentially exploited for labor and you know i associated that pretty heavily with a lot of people who just never got paid either performing or working in the administration
2: of ucb yeah rich this feels so reminiscent of that time that we broke into matt walsh's apartment and made him read our veep spec script
3: (laughs) it's it's really it's she is putting herself in the position where they can only affirm their decision to cut her off uh she's going there with like her elevator pitch and like really just like humiliating herself but at the same time like that's also the night that she chose to get like fucked up on this like very obscure drug and (laughs) it just like really makes her look totally irresponsible not actually committed to like the work of it uh and and more in this like she wants to be in this like Gertrude Stein salon like sipping on absinthe with people and like living Mm -hmm. the writer lifestyle more than she actually wants to commit to like growing as a person
2: well when she's passed out on the floor she refers to like being left to die there like (laughs) Gustave Flaubert and it's like if you're (laughs) going to appreciate this show you're going to have to understand that your main character is going to make 19th century French realism author jokes like if you're not down with the Madame Bovary humor for the button of a pilot episode of an HBO show get the fuck out we don't
0: know what her parents are professors we don't know what their professors are of maybe she's trying to you know Go to their better senses or what they're interested in. Well, they um, just want a fucking lake house, Jeff. She wants to sit by a fucking yeah, lake. She, <laughs> I, I have never related to a line more in I my know, life. I know. I know. It's, like, that it's sounds really important when your memory. characters
2: state their needs and wants. It's good.
0: <laughs> so, at the end of the show, we end with Hannah waking up in the Warwick. She tries to order room service on her parents' tab, which just sort of leaves us with a bitter taste of who she is in our mouth. And then I i actually really liked, I, I am a sucker for cinematography and imagery when you see someone go into a crowd and they just blend into the crowd, especially in New York, because they're just another New York uh, City story. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, butter me up. Like that is, and that's how the show ends. We see Hannah go off into the distance We know there's more episodes. We only care about the pilot. But if you told me this was a one, you know, little 20 minute short film, I would have been like, cool. This was a really interesting little short film. Yeah. But that is the end of this pilot. Um, Any things that we missed that you loved that you said wait a minute uh, when watching this pilot?
2: We didn't really talk about uh, Shosh too much in here. Um, Shoshana Mm -hmm. played by Jojo Mamet. Uh, her little teaser scene, though, in her $2,100 a month Nolita apartment, it's only a little more expensive than living on campus. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Um, <laughs> there is an empty apartment except for a Sex in the City poster. I'm and this up. I love this $2,100 a month college decor <laughs> apartment that she lives in, uh, and the depth in which she goes into describing which Sex in the City character. <laughs> best reflects her. Um, I I know that Dunham has stated that part of the inspiration was like the people who watched Sex and the City and Gossip Girl and then were inspired to move to New York because of those yes. people. And Shosh embodies that so well. I think, you know, living in a New York or in LA, all of us have spent time living in one of these cities at some point in our lives. We know these people who are enamored with the idea of big city living in the culture and changing who they are and finding themselves in coming of age uh Shosh absolutely calls New York City the fifth character uh she calls New She's York City She's the fifth girl. Yeah, New York City's the fifth girl <laughs> to Shosh. Um but even though we don't learn a lot about her, we learn a lot about her if that makes sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: I would yeah, that's also see with someone as someone who's like extremely Uh, swayed by tv when i watched scrubs i was like being a doctor seems fun when i watched mad men i was like working in advertising seems fun i'm I'm so curious how many people thought they would give new york a try because they watch girls like if this like inspired a generation for people to try to move to new york because like i definitely wouldn't new york seems very daunting from this from hannah describing her uh her finances like in detail of like i can make it three and a half more days maybe seven if i don't eat lunch i was like whoa you are in some serious financial straits that sounds absolutely horrible to her getting booted from that hotel and immediately getting catcalled on the street it was like it, it, everything about the city is as depicted in this show it does not feel great and you know unless you have the privilege of you know being supported by someone else it, it seemed terrible
3: she's an interesting foil to the other characters because she is maybe the only person who seems to be like being very responsible i guess she is going to school <laughs> She is like giving a family member a chance and like helping set her up, but we are kind of meant to sneer at her because she has this sort of like exuberance and an immediate joy. (laughs) And I also feel like to to go back to what we were talking about with Adam Driver, I think that's another actor that has a really interesting like speech rhythm and emphasis on lines. I think that this performance is really, really fun and could be like delivered in a valley girl kind of sense, but she's really put something very interesting into the character 100
0: anything else that we love or that we just want to call out is just plain weird i, I
1: feel like i don't know anything about marnie or Shoshana for, after this pilot i feel like there's like literally they've set up literally nothing else this seems to be the only pilot that we've watched so far that hasn't established any sort of like carrying on or or cliffhanger or anything like that uh for the for well, half of the main characters yeah
0: i i would definitely agree there seems like for two of the girls life seems like it's pretty much set up right Bye. like shoshana no. is shoshana mm-hmm. she's gonna wear her juicy shoot suit uh or a sweatsuit <laughs> that really i appreciate it it looked very comfortable she even said because i was watching this with my wife as well and she was like why is she wearing a juicy sweatsuit in 2012 and she even mentions hey i'm not that fashion forward um but then like with marnie for all we know she's actually brian williams do- daughter she is mm-hmm. brian williams daughter and she's doing just <laughs> fine um and doesn't need to be making an income um it is just it's such a weird way to be like there's two people who have issues here the other two maybe not and who's even a main character in this pilot let's I, leave it up I to do- you feel, though, that it is effective in terms of its world
2: building, that this isn't going to be a show that necessarily follows one linear thing from episode to episode. It's going to follow this world, and we're going to come in and out of focus with different people and different relationships. Um, I, we'll get into this a little bit more. I'd love to talk about it when we get into Legacy, but like a big thing with that sub-genre of mumblecore is that we're not really focused on plot. We're focused on dialogue and interpersonal relationships. And it is a little weird seeing something that's usually done on a, like, micro-scale being done on, like, an HBO cinematic filming style. And I think that's what makes Girls such an interesting show and an interesting pilot is that it's taking a very small-scale thing... And it's blowing it up to make it look like Gossip Girl and Sex in the City.
0: So I do want to leave some time for our in-flight question. We do have an in-flight question. Um, Hannah deems herself the voice of her generation. Who would you pick as a voice of a generation right now? (laughs) I will go first uh, because I have one and it's going to be the most basic one. But it's Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the voice of a generation for so many years. Fucking people it's disgusting um now do i love taylor swift oh, yes boy. Uh, you yes just, you i just, do
1: you just opened the
0: pandora's box right now <laughs> i i i love taylor swift and rosie i see i see your reaction i am unabashedly in love with taylor swift my second to this was um greta gerwig i think is also a really great example of a voice of a generation. Lady Bird is such a fantastic film that everyone should see. If you're a millennial, you watch Lady Bird and you associate yourself with every single scene of that movie. I don't care if you're a dude or a girl or you don't choose. You love that movie. Um, And if you don't, I have problems with you. Um, (laughs) So, Rosie, I know that you are judging me for being a Taylor (laughs) Swift fan, but I would love to hear... I would love to hear what your thoughts are.
3: You're going to be so far from it. Like, I'm a massive, like, kind of embarrassing, like, rich Mm nose. Rich nose. The the heinousness of the depths of my obsession with Taylor Swift. I'm, like, a conspiracy theorist. She is absolutely, like, my favorite little capitalist. And (laughs) I, I have to... I have to agree with you. Um, you know, you don't get to be like she, I think so, pe- so many people forget uh, that she's like a, like nearly a billionaire. And because she has this like persona that is so warm, that is so like, hi friends, uh, I'm Taylor you know uh, mm-hmm. and she's goofy and and she's all you know elbows and knees and very charming and awkward and and, and i think knees. that like what people don't i mean like but she's also like flying around her little plane destroying the ozone layer and doesn't give a <laughs> fuck about it yeah, yeah. she so, hangs up
2: her cute like little she, cardigan and then just scrooge mcduck dives into her pile of gold coins at the end of the day
3: Yes, yeah that's the most wonderful imagery and i love her all the more for it too just because it is this concept of this like super villain but like in in sheep's clothing that we all love to consume um i i will need to check back in with you during the midnight's era just to see how you feel about oh
0: it. i've my wife has already pre-ordered the entire oh thing don't worry we're, we'll be listening at midnight i um, gold-plated vinyl Oh, Max, what about you? What? Uh, who's a voice of a generation for you? I
2: also went with a music direction here, and my voice of a generation, uh, I'm going to go with Frank Ocean. Ooh, uh, nice. There's a few reasons here. I, I do feel like just from an actual like music history standpoint, his two uh, full records, Channel Orange and Blonde, not only dominated Decades Endless, they're so influential in terms of the sound of pop and hip-hop and R&B. There's so many contemporaries who clearly drew from Ocean's work to craft their sound, especially now as someone who's been, like, working for over a decade. You see, like, the next generation coming up under him. It's someone who came up in the internet, like, Tumblr era as a member of Odd Future Mm. and then rose to this huge prominence in mass pop culture. Uh but more importantly I picked Ocean because lately every single time he gets booked to headline a festival, he seemingly drops out. Mm -hmm. And I believe as a millennial, the voice of a generation (laughs) needs to normalize canceling on plans at the last minute.
3: (laughs) Can't make it. Wish I
1: could. Oh Flake Ocean. All right. Rich,
0: (laughs) round us out.
1: Uh, I am also going with the musical voice, uh, and you know it may not be quite as popular as Frank Ocean. It might not be as uh, popular as Taylor Swift or as critically acclaimed. But uh, I'm going with uh, with Soldier Boy, <laughs> uh, and, and here's why. Soldier Boy was the first person. All right, bye everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. <laughs> uh, Soldier no, Boy, Rich, not Rich. Tell him. <laughs> God damn it. Let me crank this back um so <laughs> so soldier boy is one of the few people that i have seen uh make it from the limewire and napster uh platforms where he was essentially this, i mean this is how he came to prominence is he was putting his music as other file names and gaming the system on limewire and Right now, with the popularity of, like, let's let's compare it to Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X learned how to game the algorithm of TikTok to release Old Town Road. And now has, like, now, you know, he's at the MetGal every year. He's at the, he's, he's front row at the Grammys every year. A
0: national year. tour. Yeah,
1: he's on a national tour right now. And I think, you know with the music industry kind of as fucked up as it is right now with everyone making these weird albums with 19 tracks or something like that to try to like game the spotify algorithm i think soldier boy was really the first person to kind of like crack that bank vault and and uh no he he, cranked, out he that, cranked that he cranked that bank vault
0: <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the show legacy um as far as the show. Girls was on for six seasons and 62 episodes. Um, reviews season one at an 87, according to Metacritic, which oh. is really, really good. Like, Super just high. To give, just to give everyone an idea who doesn't listen. That's one of the highest we've talked about of all the shows that Damn. we've reviewed. Um, More the Ballers? Surprisingly, <laughs> Ballers, I think, peaked at a 77. Uh, so it received 122 different nominations as far as awards. And 119. That includes two Emmys and three Golden Glue. Um, awesome. It definitely did a great job, right? Like it was syndicated across the world. Um, you can once again find it on HBO Max. Um, but it did, you know, we talked about some of the things that it did. It did make Mumblecore genre mainstream as a whole like that is something that we have to look at and we have to recognize as a whole but rich you know you came in not knowing what mumblecore was and that's fine but you did come in knowing what your game of the week was so i want to hear what rich's game of the week is this week
1: i sure did and we you know we talk a lot about uh girls in this show but another name for this show could also be dads and the reason for that is because this is an entire cast of nepotism babies And so I'm going to play a little game of okay. So obviously we've named all three of them here. Uh, The the three nepotism dads are Brian Williams, uh, David Mamet, and Simon Kirk. Simon Kirk, obviously the uh, drummer of Free and Bad Company, Uh, still their touring drummer. I, I think they toured like a couple years ago. He's 73 years old, still the active touring drummer for the band. Absolutely incredible. But I want to give you guys a very a, a, like an obscure clue their net worth and i want you to guess which nepotism dad is based on the clue all right the first clue is uh he's worth 20 million dollars apparently uh, according to uh you know the networth.com or whatever the hell it was uh from chicago illinois studied at second city a, a comedy uh person for for the lot of us and went to Goddard College. Who do we think this is of the nepotism dads?
0: Who are the dad choices?
1: This is Brian Williams, David Mamet, and Simon Kirk. Uh, for me, I'm going to say David Mamet. You are correct. That is David Mamet. We have a uh, currently living in Manhattan with three kids. Is a voting member for a major of like one EGOT award, like one of the EGOT awards. That's amazing. And, uh, and worth an estimated $10 million. That's wild.
3: Is that Brian Williams?
1: That is Simon so, Kirk. Simon Kirk? Yeah. yeah. I was going to oh. say the only musician. Mr. Bad there. Company himself. Um, and then um, obviously it, our
0: last one's going to be.
3: Could have been Brian an audiobook.
0: <laughs> I was going to say it, Brian <laughs> <laughs> Williams' audiobook about his helicopter experience.
2: <laughs> and my I, I used to chime it. Oh, sorry. So quick on the nepotism factor here. I want to make it very clear that if your dad played drums on "Feel Like Making Love," that does not automatically yes, get you a foot in the door in Hollywood. Yes, it does. <laughs> he
1: is, he's an active, he's an active touring musician for one of the biggest bands of the '70s. Like that is, and if you're if you've been in the music industry that long, you can make a couple phone calls. It is really not that hard.
0: Rich, thank you for your game of the week. Yeah, I have one final question for everyone here. Do you think the show could be made today? and based off of the pilot and the pilot alone would you continue watching this show rosie as our guest you get to start us off
3: i think this show could be made today but it needs to hit like if it, it needs to decide if it's satirizing these people and I feel like it, it could absolutely exist as a satire but it would just need to go harder in that direction I don't think it could exist in the way that the show uh, like the trajectory of the show went on which is like having a lot more empathy for these characters but like if you look at you know like is it it's always sunny like the longest running tv show ever at this point and those are like also despicable characters and I think Going that route, I think the show would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Can't help but agree. I think the uh I I think the show could definitely be made today. However, it definitely does need to follow a particular direction. It has to give me something in the energy department of like me want like liking or hating anyone in particular. It has to have like higher stakes stuff rather than like, you know, accidental pregnancy or, you know, having to find a job. I I think uh (laughs) I think Mumblecore is like a little bit uh Maybe just not eventful enough for me. And weirdly, watching this, uh, like so little happened with two of the characters. I was like, I don't think I would watch another episode of this. I don't think I'm sticking
2: around for number two. So I I don't think that girls the pilot watch as is written and filmed could get greenlit in 2022. I think that the moment for this genre dominating indie circuits and festivals in year end lists has passed. I also just Mm -hmm. don't know if this ensemble would fly in 2022, what with, uh, just call it out, the absolute lack of any sense of diversity Mm -hmm. in the pilot. Um, I know Dunham took a lot of criticism for that in this show. Look, you, you write what you know, and there's a lot of people above her who also could have stepped in, and I think people putting all of that onus onto Lena Dunham is really unfair. Um, that said, yeah, I would absolutely keep watching this version of the show.
0: <laughs> so all round us out. I do see this show being made by someone today. I could see Netflix seeing Tiny Furniture and paying Lena Dunham all of the money, not just for this show, but for the next five years of her life and whatever work she chooses to make. And like many things on netflix i would not watch this um (laughs) i i think that this is a show that has an audience and i am not that audience and i'll just admit that freely i would much rather watch another show about a couple of girls in new york called broad city yeah Um, with that being said (laughs) and as we begin to land our plane um i'd love to learn where i can find all of you rosie where can everyone find you
3: i'm everywhere I'm everywhere. Predominantly TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, if you really wanted to, like, be my biggest fan, you could find me on Pinterest. Uh, but don't, you know, it's not that exciting there. But I think I'm, if you think I'm a person that you want to look at, go to Instagram. If, if I'm a person you want to listen to, go to TikTok. <laughs>
1: uh highly highly co following Rosie on uh on instagram and uh and pinterest and tiktok oh <laughs> oh yeah uh leave him your handle too
0: yeah what's what's your handle
3: oh it's at r-o-s-e-y b-e-e-m-e rosie b me
2: awesome that was gonna be such like girls shit if you were just like you could find me if you want to and then did give us any <laughs> no, more information. No, that's a that's and a so big that's Charlie, Charlie line. <laughs> all right. Max, what about you, bud? You can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Sing. You can find original comedy sketches for myself and Rich on TikTok at Dad Comedy. And Rich, you can
1: find me on Instagram at Damn That's Rich.
0: And you can find me eating a cupcake in your local shower. But more importantly, you can also find me at Run Jeff Run on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV pilot's license on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV pilot. And that's pilots how Jeff license. got banned
2: from 24 hour fitness. <laughs>
0: yeah it's the cupcake part remember no food allowed in the locker rooms um if you have a question about the show or for our next episode you can email us at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713 And make sure to watch out for our Instagram for a sneak preview of some of our upcoming episodes. With the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, have a great day.